Brethren, open your Bibles with me for a few moments to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and consider how the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, of whom Paul was chief, but he came into this world for ugly sinners. We want to learn three things from a little passage I'm about to read to you. We want to be humbled to the ground by a God who says He saves the ugly ducklings of society. We want to give God all the glory because He has saved away from human strength and human wisdom and human ability those that have none of their own. And we want to be comforted that as we come to the Lord's table today, there is no doubt in your mind that you cannot come freely and that He has this supper for you. I don't want any doubt in your mind that you are too much of a sinner. You're not important enough in the world. You have too many problems. God couldn't possibly have cared for you because He cares for you. Listen to these verses in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning at verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. Amen and Amen. This morning we considered how that God promised eternal life to His elect and sent the Lord Jesus Christ by covenant plan before the world began. He wrote our names in the book of life. And from this passage we want to see as we approach the Lord's table that He's chosen the ugly sinners of the world. And so I want to humble us. I want to lift the God of heaven up. And I want to comfort us as we come to His table that He chose us ugly ducklings out of the orphanage of fallen humanity to be His own dear children. Throw up the shield of faith. Jesus Christ loves losers. So if you feel yourself a loser this morning, if you're the brokenhearted, the Bible speaks of, if you're the captives, if you're the blind, if you're the weak, if you're the poor, if you're the babes, He loves you and He has saved you. Come in confidence to His table this day. Look at these verses just very quickly with me. Verse 26, For ye see your calling. Election can be seen. If you look through a true church of Jesus Christ, and they're never going to be perfect, but you're going to see a difference from the world. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. He never bears fruit. But when you see those that believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, they love Jesus Christ, They love to praise them. They bear fruit in their lives. You can see their election. 
Because Paul's whole point is here that if the Corinthian church would look around, they would realize that out of the city of Corinth, God had chosen the uglier, the uglier portion of the population. And they could visual, they could see that visually. Because he's going to humble this church. This church thought that they were high and mighty because of the spiritual gifts they had been given. And Paul's purpose right off the bat, while he's on the subject of who hears the gospel and why they hear it, he points out that God's choice was of the uglier ones in Corinth, not the prettier ones. There's churches in our county right now that if you were to go to them, you would be rubbing elbows with the lawyers and the doctors and the politicians of our city and county. That's proof that they're not the churches of Jesus Christ. Never been a church like that in the history of Christianity where the majority of the congregation are the lawyers, doctors, and politicians. Jesus hasn't chosen the pretty people of this world. And if you would go to those churches, you would hear a social gospel preached this day, and it would basically be a networking society rather than a true church of Jesus Christ. If you need help, Christ Church is one such church, the Episcopal Church in town. Generally, it is the Episcopal Church in any city that is known for that. It's a social network of the social do-gooders and of the high society persons in a town. While the simple little Baptist church on the outskirts of town has the ugly ducklings of the city. Thanks be to God, we're on the outskirts of town and we are the ugly ducklings. And instead of being offended by that, no one should be offended by it, but thank God that He has saved us in spite of ourselves. Ye see your calling. God's appointment to eternal life and election is visible by the fruit in a person's life. And that is not that difficult. We don't go by some decision a person's made, but by the fruit they bear. And if there's fruit, you can say that a person is elect of God. You might be surprised in the end, because Judas looked pretty good for a while. But overall, and in general, God's people will bear fruit, and they're visible. And those that don't bear fruit are not God's children, unless they are those exceptional carnal Christians. It's hard to be a carnal Christian for a long time, sitting under the preaching of the gospel. Because that's not what God has ordained the gospel for. So we see both. We do see both. But I want you to notice, Paul is telling Corinth, look around, brethren, And see what kind of people God has saved. See what kind of people God has chosen. In the first service, we saw that God chose, before the world began, the elect that Jesus Christ would save on the cross. He promised eternal life to them. And in this passage, it tells us what they look like. And when we look around, we have to agree that the apostle's pretty accurate. How about very accurate? Oh, don't be offended that I'm about to call you foolish and weak and base and nothing. Don't be offended I'm calling you a loser. Thank God that He sent Jesus Christ to die for losers. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men. It doesn't say God hasn't called any wise men, but He hasn't called many. He hasn't called many mighty He's called a few, but not many. He hasn't called many noble. There might be a few noble men. Well, what kind of wisdom and what kind of might and what kind of nobility does he have under consideration here? It says, not many wise men after the flesh. How the world thinks. How the world views men and ranks them. How the world ranks us into various socioeconomic levels, upper class, middle class, 
lower class, the way the world looks at men. So when we see the word wisdom, what the world thinks to be a wise man. There aren't very many here that are considered intellectually gifted and highly intelligent by the world. There aren't very many here that are very strong and powerful leaders of men as the world measures men. There aren't very many that are noble, that are considered high class men and women that the world would measure as such. Because God hasn't chosen very many of those. Verse 27, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That is, the wise of the world look at our church, or look at any true church of Jesus Christ, and they see the foolish things of humanity, because there's that difference. They think themselves wise, they may have some worldly wisdom, but they don't have the wisdom that comes from God. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. There will be a day when we all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and as Abraham addressed the rich man, the Lord will say, well, you had your time while you were on earth. You remember how you exalted yourself as Dr. So-and-so? You considered yourself so wise and mighty and noble. Well, now it's their turn. Those little despised Baptists, that worshipped on the outskirts of town, they are now my wise and my mighty and my noble. You shouldn't be offended. You had your turn, and now they're having their turn. I'm sorry if you don't like the math, that you had your turn for 50 years, and they're getting it for eternity. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And they will be confounded because they have never been told no in their lives. And they will be told no when the Son of God says, I never knew you. They've never been told they were never known. Everywhere they went, they were known. Everywhere when they entered a room, everyone began whispering to each other, Dr. So-and-so's here. President so-and-so, Senator so-and-so is here. And now they're going to be unknown and cast into an eternity of hell without the God of heaven. They will be confounded world without end. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. These men of the world can accomplish most anything they want to. We have trouble accomplishing little things. But in that day, we will accomplish through the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, eternal life, while they lose out altogether. Praise His great and glorious name, brethren. And base things of the world. They think that we're base. They're right. They're right. But they're not looking at what really counts. Has God accepted them? I'd rather be base and accepted by God than to be rich and famous and left out by Him. Base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. God has chosen people that have nothing and who are nothing to bring to nothing those who think they are something. They think they're something special. But God has chosen us, and He will prove in the long run why He has chosen us over them, and that's that He gets all the glory because the next verse says exactly why He did it this way. That no flesh should glory in His presence. No one will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ 
and think that they are there because of anything they are or have done. Because if they stand there and are accepted, it is all because of what God has done and what Jesus Christ is. Our eternal high priest. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Humble yourself right now. Get down to the ground. Because that's where God wants you. He wants us humble as we come to His table. And let's lift Him up and give Him all the glory. Amen. Now, brethren, I've tried to preach this chapter to you before. When I preached through 1 Thessalonians two years, 1 Corinthians 2 years ago. But I hope that you can lay hold of this verse right here in front of you right now. This 30th verse. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Let me explain this verse to you. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. They have their little itty-bitty worldly wisdom. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what it tells me about Him? In Him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow! Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3. In the Lord Jesus Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and He is my brother. He is my Savior. He is my friend. He is my King. He is my Prince. He is my Lord. And He's yours. You you think you're doing without wisdom? We've got the wisdom of the universe in our big brother. We've got the wisdom of the universe in the book He's given us. He has made us wisdom. We are wisdom through Jesus Christ our Lord, and He has it all. They think they're wise and we're foolish. The day will come when we will be shown to be wise and our Lord Jesus Christ will be shown to be wise and they will be the fools. In Him, we are more than mighty. Because it next says that He is our righteousness. We are the sons of God and the brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're brothers of the King of Kings because He has given us His righteousness. They can call themselves mighty by accomplishing something in this world. We'll be mighty in the next as the righteous sons of God. In Him, we're more than noble. We're holy. Because we have sanctification through Jesus Christ. What does the word sanctification mean? Sanctify, sanctified, to make something holy. That's why they're called saints, sanctified ones. That's why church buildings and meeting places are called sanctuaries, because it is a holy place where God is worshipped. Sanctification makes us holy. We're not just noble in their opinions. We're holy in the sight of God. Praise His glorious name. We're better than noble through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then it says redemption. We are something. They say that we're nothing. And they think themselves something special. But we are something. Do you know what the price was paid to redeem your soul? The most precious commodity in the universe. And it wasn't a barrel of oil. It was the blood of the Son of God. It was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been redeemed by that special purchase price of Jesus Christ's blood. The blood of the only begotten, well-beloved Son of God. We are wise, mighty, noble, and valuable in the sight of God because of what Jesus Christ spent for us and on us. It will all be made up to us in the end. They have their good times now, and we'll have our good times then. The rich man had his good time in this world, 
and Lazarus had it in the world to come. Which would you rather have? But you know what I've found in my 49 years, and I spent some of those years trying to find my good times in this world, I have found that a child of God walking with the King and following His Word has the best of both worlds. Amen. You know what we called that when I was in banking? A win-win situation. I win in this life, and I win in the next. Right. All because of my winner, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We, we do not lose in this life. We may lose in their opinion. We may not have the big fancy houses, cars, and other things that they have. Oh, but we've got the truth of the Gospel. We have, we have friendship they've never met. Everyone they meet with, they're wondering who's going to stab them in the back next to get the gold in their pockets. And we have the love of the brotherhood in the church of Jesus Christ. We win. Children, we're winners. It's a win-win situation to be a Christian. You never lose. You say, but some Christians have been killed at the stake. Oh, they have. But do you know how they went to death at the stake? Singing. They were singing with happiness while those that were burning them were angry with madness that the ones they were burning were still singing and wouldn't recant. I'd rather be the singing one in the flames. And I know how God receives His martyrs. I'd rather be that one than those who burned a precious saint of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, wait until they stand before the King of Kings. Because those martyrs are crying for vengeance and God has promised them their vengeance. All he's saying is wait till the last martyr gets here and then I will unleash hell and fury. I will trample the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Wow! I love verse 30. Now I've always liked verse 30, but I love it today. I love it. It shows me that while the world doesn't think I'm very wise, I've got the wise Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. While the world doesn't think I'm very mighty, He is mighty for me and makes me mighty. While they consider me not very noble, I'm better than noble. I'm holy. And while they consider themselves something special, the purchase price for me was the blood of the Son of God. And for you, brethren, can you rejoice in verse 30? But we're just getting started with verse 30. Because look at the first few words. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus. How does a sinner get into Christ Jesus where Jesus Christ is His wisdom, is His righteousness, is His sanctification, and is His redemption? How do you get into Jesus Christ? Now, we learned it earlier today, but can we find out from this text? Can we? Can you find out from verse 30? If you limit yourself to verse 30, does it tell you how you get into Jesus Christ? But of Him... Are ye in Christ Jesus? It's God that put us into Christ Jesus. Well, how does He put us into Christ Jesus? Well, if you back up to verses 26 and 27, it says God chose you in Christ Jesus. And doesn't that fit with everything else we learned earlier? So before the world began, God chose us in Christ Jesus, knowing that we were going to be foolish, weak, base, and nothing in this world. But He was going to make us wise, mighty, righteous, holy, noble, sanctified and redeemed in His sight because God chose us in Christ Jesus. You don't put yourself in Christ to get those blessings. God puts you in Christ. And God told the Corinthian church, look around and see what kind of people I chose to be my children. That, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. 
And verse 31 is not redundant. I don't care if you're an English teacher and you don't like someone repeating a sentence so close to another, to its own sentence. These two statements are made here in 29 and 31 because of points being made. Let us glory in the Lord and not have any ourselves because we have not done a thing for our blessed position in Jesus Christ the Lord. James chapter 2. You had it read to you? I just want to briefly point out what it said to you. James chapter 2. Why do we read the Bible so much? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I want to build your faith as God's children. We want to know our Bibles. We want to believe them. We want to be able to hold up the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts of the devil. I'll just read verse 5. James 2, 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him? God has chosen the poor of this world, and He chose them rich in faith. Now, when it says God has chosen the poor, rich in faith... Does that mean God chose them because they were rich in faith? Or did God choose to make them rich in faith? God chose them to make them rich in faith just as much as He chose to make them heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him. Faith is a gift, and faith as a gift is taught right here. Wherefore, hearken, my beloved brethren, Don't you ever show respect of persons, is what James is saying. When someone comes into the assembly and they're wearing fine clothes, don't give them special attention. There's no difference in the sight of God for such ridiculously foolish things. God's chosen the poor of this world. So if a poor man comes in, get excited about him. If the doctor in town visits, it's likely he's not going to be there next Sunday. But if the poor visits, get excited. Because he goes on to say, uh, don't the rich men oppress you? Don't they draw you before the judgment seats? Is it not the rich that blaspheme that worthy name? When the poor come in because God's chosen the poor. I like that. I like that. You know what my balance sheet and income statements say? Poor. That's okay. Because look at the company it puts me in. How about you? You know, the, the world can get on their treadmill and push the button up. Make more next year than you did this year. And just keep pushing the up arrow. And they can run for all they want. And they're going to get spit off into hell. And they're going to have wasted their lives. We can be content. As long as we're working diligently and faithfully within reason, we can be content. And if we still end up poor, thank God for James 2.5 and get excited. Amen. Because it says God has chosen the poor. How about Matthew 11? Do you consider yourself a babe in understanding? Matthew 11, you can, you can turn there because it is, it is so precious. If you consider yourself just a little babe, I don't understand very much. I may have even had a learning disability. Many of us have learning disabilities. So what? Look at what the Lord's about to tell you. Get excited that you have a learning disability. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. You say, how can I get excited about a learning disability? Because God gave it to you. That was from this morning. This is from this service. Look at this. I I love this. Do Do you know how many doctoral degrees I have? I don't have any. Do you know what my education is in? Finance. Oh, 
I'm lost. What if I was to have to sit down with the Dr. Billy Graham? He's a doctor. He gets to sit with the Pope. He gets to sit with presidents. I don't have anything. But look at, look at what the Bible says. Matthew 11.25 At that time, Jesus answered and said, He's not talking to the crowd. He's looking at the crowd. He's seeing the calling of those that God had elected. And He's talking to His Father in Heaven. He says, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in Thy sight. Can you come to this table as a babe? You're saying, I'm just a baby in understanding. I'm just a baby in degrees. I've never been to seminary. I don't know very much. Do you know that Jesus is the Son of God and He's the King of kings and He's coming again and the only truth is in the Bible and that we are to live separated lives according to the Word of God? That's about all you need to know. And they can't figure that out. Billy Graham can't figure out that the Pope is the man of sin. That the Pope is the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Billy Graham was asked by Larry King on Larry King Live in the last six months, he was asked, do you think Pope John Paul II went to heaven? Old Billy, with a little bit of memory and mind he's got left, said, there's more chance of John Paul II being in heaven than there is for me being there. That man that sits on that throne in Rome and and expects to be worshipped as the head of the church, who calls himself and has everyone else call him most holy and reverend father, who is called the bishop of all the churches, when there's only one man that has those titles, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the high priest of the church. He is our great apostle. He is the bishop and shepherd of our souls. That man in Rome is not the bishop and shepherd of anything except the devils of hell. Billy Graham doesn't have that understanding, but you do. That's why Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, I thank thee, Father, that these poor, simple people here before me that have never been to the school of the Pharisees, they've never been to the seminaries of the Sadducees, they believe on me because, Father, it seemed good in your sight to blind the eyes of all those that think themselves wise and open the eyes of all these simple ones before me. Can you come to the table today as a babe? He'll receive you. He'll receive you gladly. He made the difference in your life. He opened your eyes while closing theirs. I don't have any more time. So you're going to have to listen tightly. I love Rahab. God said to utterly destroy the Canaanites. She was a Canaanite. Not only was she a Canaanite, from whom the Lord a people the Lord had purposed to destroy, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute in our language. She was the strange woman that Solomon wrote against. She was an adulteress. God saved her. God chose Rahab out of the whole city of Jericho. Rahab's father was only saved from the destruction by the Israelites because of Rahab. Rahab's mother was only saved from the destruction of Jericho because of Rahab. God chose Rahab. God put faith in Rahab's heart 
So instead of fearing and wanting to go in war against Israel, she wanted to hide those two spies against her own people. On their televisions that afternoon, there came out that warning, there are two spies from Israel in our city, and we want to capture them because they're here to destroy us. And she got those two spies that were in her house for you-know-what, because that was a great place for visiting men to hide in the city of Jericho. She took those two spies and said, I know that the God of heaven is with you, and you're going to destroy all the Canaanites. Will you have mercy on me and my father's house? And I want to tell you a little bit about Rahab. Rahab was David's great-great-great-grandmother. Rahab is in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you come as a Rahab? You say, well, I'm not quite that bad. Well, then you can come. You can come to the Lord's table and know that Jesus Christ loves the Rahabs of this world that He has set His affection upon. You know, when we get to Hebrews 11, what women are mentioned in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11? We've got... We've, who, what women do we have? We've got Sarah... Who else? We've got Rahab. When we get to James 2, what are the examples of having a life full of works? There's the example of Abraham, and then there's the example of Rahab. Thank you, Lord, for loving the Rahabs and including them in the company of the elect. You know, when you go to the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1, what other women made it into that genealogy? In the genealogies of the Bible, only the men are mentioned because children are considered the property of the men. And a man begat a son named so-and-so. And he begat a son named so-and-so. And he begat a son named so-and-so. But there are four women that are in Matthew chapter 1. Now Rahab's there because I've already mentioned her. And she is mentioned there by name. A Canaanite prostitute. Who else? Ruth. A Moabitess. The, the nation of the whoremongers. Ruth the Moabitess is in that number. Who else? Bathsheba, the adulteress with David. Who else? Tamar, Judah's incestuous relationship with his daughter-in-law. Those four women. Praise the God of heaven. Matthew chapter 1 that says Jesus would come into this world to save his people from their sins. Save women like that. We can comfort ourselves with information like that. Thank you, Lord. How about the thief on the cross? Is that a pretty poor, a weak, and despised person of the world? Say by the Lord Jesus Christ, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. How about that beggar that we read about? I like the emphasis of our brother on the word moreover. He was laid at a rich man's gate, and he desired to be fed with the crumbs that fell from that table. The crumbs that fell from that luxurious table would have been enough to satisfy him and make him very happy. But moreover, what did the moreover, what was the moreover there for? Dogs came and licked his sore. Now that's about as low as you can get in this world. That's about as poor, weak, and worthless, and ignoble, and nothing as you can get. But when that beggar died, where did he go? Into heaven by the chariots of God. That is the Lord Jesus Christ that we believe in. He loves the ugly sinners of this world and has saved them by His grace. I read about Mary Magdalene that Jesus Christ cast seven devils out of her. But when He rose from the dead... To whom did he appear first? Was it Peter? Was it James? Was it John? Was it Andrew? It was Mary Magdalene. He appeared to first after his resurrection because he loved the loser named Mary Magdalene. How about the poor man of the Gadarenes? Jesus came all the way across the sea to visit for one man. One man kept in the cemeteries, chained, and no man could bind him. 
But Jesus came for him and put him in his right mind and sent him back to tell his friends and his family what great things God had done for him. Can you come to the table as the demon-possessed, insane man of the Gadarenes? There's plenty of room at the Lord's table for such sinners. He's made his kingdom up of such men. You looking forward to meeting the Gadarene in heaven? Do you think he'll be in his right mind? Do you think he'll be praising Jesus Christ? Do you think you're strong enough to get between him and his Lord? You going to try? That man is thankful. When Jesus visited those shores later, there were people waiting for him. I read in John chapter 9, the whole chapter is about a man that was blind from birth. He was cast out of the synagogue and despised and rejected and ridiculed by the Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews. But Jesus came for him twice. And Jesus cured him from his blindness and gave him faith in himself. Jesus said, Believest thou in the Son of God? Show me, show him to me, Lord, and I will believe. I am he that speaketh with thee. And he worshipped him. Oh, I've got so many more here. You know what it says about the Corinthians? It says of the Corinthians that the effeminate, the abusers of themselves with mankind, the drunkards, murderers, have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And then it says these words, And such were some of you. There was in the church at Corinth converted, saved, cross-dressing faggots. And do you know what? They were blood-bought brothers. And once a man has repented and been saved by Jesus Christ, it wouldn't make a whit of difference to us. Because if the truth be told, we're all just as wicked as any one of those men that were at Corinth. And if it hadn't been for God's restraining grace, we would have committed the same perverse sins that they had committed. But the church at Corinth had them all. You can read it in 1 Corinthians 6, and it says, But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are cleansed by the Holy Spirit of God. You had read to you by our young brother Chad about the sinner woman that came into the house of Simon the Pharisee and kissed the feet of our Lord. Notice, he had mercy for the sinner woman, but he didn't for Simon. And he addressed Simon about it, that Simon did not have a proper attitude. I see that when he went into the Samaritans for a couple of days, our Lord found a woman that had five husbands and the man she was living with was not number six because she hadn't bothered marrying him. But she was the one that Jesus Christ looked up individually at the well there of Jericho. Amen. And I find Philip sent to the backside of the desert, a place going down to Gaza, toward Gaza. And what did he find out there in the middle of the desert? A man that had been altered physically. He was a eunuch. You know what had been chopped off of him in order to serve Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. And that man was coming back and reading Isaiah 53 in his chariot. But there was a man of God to tell him that the Lord Jesus Christ had died even for an Ethiopian eunuch. Amen. And what zeal that man had. He said, I want to get baptized. Hey, hey, there's an oasis, Philip. Why can't I be baptized right here? They stopped the chariot and went down to that water. They both went down to the water and they both came back up. That's why we're Baptists. And then it says, the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the potter, we are the clay. Let's come in all humility.
to the Lord's table. He wants all the glory for Himself, none to man. So let's come giving Him all the glory. And no matter how poorly you think of yourself, take comfort. You're not too poor for the Lord Jesus Christ. And He's made us wise, mighty, holy, and most valuable by the price He's paid for us. Not one will be lost. The entire host of heaven, including God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, have made their covenant and they've made it with an oath. They will not lose a single one. Let that be the foundation for your soul and the anchor for your mind. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.